Welcome back, everybody, to the second podcast from Silent Voices. Marion Rackard interviewing Dr. Stephanie Brown from the Addictions Institute in, in San Francisco. It's a great pleasure to have you back to discuss the process of therapy and to really try and understand the kind of therapeutic interventions and um, the recovery process for adult children. And I suppose I was really struck by an article which will be available to, to everybody who's present at the uh, podcast. It will be available on the website. An article which describes the background to the development of adult children of alcoholics, which was a new idea, all grown up, it's called, by Dr. Stephanie Brown. And um, it really demonstrates the extraordinary lack of understanding, knowledge and information that existed at the time that yourself and Claudia Black were forging ahead with, with your understandings and thinking about Claudia Black's um, description of the family roles, um, the family hero, the lost child, the, the scapegoat and the funny, the funny child all defences to the family's addiction. So I wonder if you could describe, you know, what is actually needed in terms of helping adult children of alcoholics in this day. I, I, know, I know, for example, that our audience are seeing hundreds and hundreds of ACAs because I know through supervision and through training that, you know, there are many such adult children coming into the rooms and also coming in to train as therapists. So I'm really interested, as is our audience, in understanding what the exact sort of range of therapies and interventions are most useful. Oh, Marian, thank you. Let me first pick up on that piece about the ACAs coming into therapy and they haven't labeled themselves. So how does a a therapist in any setting... In any setting, how does a therapist begin to understand the background, the experiences, and how the use of alcohol, how parental alcoholism would relate to the difficulties a person is coming in with? And we are now certainly here in uh, the United States, we are at a point where ACA is a common term in health so that lots of mental health therapists understand it. But the willingness to take the stance of ruling out parental alcoholism, the experience of childhood trauma, which is the experience of living with someone who's out of control, someone who's, who's drinking, is organizing family life. And what has been the impact on the individual that's talking to me right now? So my job in any assessment is to include the family history so that I can begin to hear clearly, if I'm willing, the impact that someone's drinking, the parent's drinking has had. With that, then I may be in a position myself to be able to help name it to see how the person in front of me can name it, can understand it, the history. I can begin to assess that individual in in a determination. uh, Is this person going to need 
a higher level of care, an inpatient, for example. What's this person's drinking like? I'm doing such a detailed assessment as I move along in in the interest of ruling out, in the interest of seeing the, the ability of this person to tell me what it was like. Does the person get anxious? Can't talk? It wasn't allowed to be named at home. I was, I couldn't see any of this. It's going to be okay. Things would always become okay. They would say it really becomes anxious when I ask questions. Or is this an opportunity for that person to say, Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The drinking really was difficult. I was afraid, but I was, ne- I, you know, I never could talk about it. This is the first time I've ever thought about it. And another person says, I, I was exposed to the movies. You see it in lots of movies or books. And I took that. I listened. Oh my gosh. And I could identify. And for me, my shorthand for the therapist's role in determining a kind of treatment, books, pamphlets, the National Association for Children of Alcoholics, which is uh, the major organization worldwide for information, uh, explanations. It's a terrific resource in Washington, D.C., and that was part of the beginning days. Seeking help on the Internet, uh, Googling or or whatever the, the method, children of alcoholics, adult children of alcoholics, to become more familiar. This is for therapists now, but also you can suggest to your clients, the people you're working with, what's it like for you to think about this, to call it, by the name. And our job in our work here in this beginning therapy is to help make it real. That phrase really has been a key for me all, all these years. We are going to make it real. Now that me, you know, will be within the interests of not pushing a client. You know, that's not my job to get this person to see something. And in the long term mode, I will be very careful to be assessing what's possible for this person to know at this moment. And lots of therapists here that I've worked with over these years believe that they should tell, that they should push anybody sitting with them to get this. And I absolutely disagree. Oh, absolutely, Stephanie. I, I'm, you know, it's, one is shocked sometimes when one hears that, but um, you know, because the level of, of how you can, how a client can be overwhelmed and re-traumatized by too much information or, or too much triggering um, is, is significant. So one has to, as you say, really balance that information and assessing the client at the same time. What are they able for? Right. I'm made aware of, of another. We had, we had a training here in Ireland some years ago from a I think it was Dr. Martha Schmidt from SeekingSafety.org, which is a very interesting kind of therapy in terms of uh, women with substance abuse issues and sexual abuse and and helping them. So SeekingSafety.org. But it's all about managing the trauma. Trauma, trauma is so important to the work that I've always done because Trauma wasn't understood or accepted, except as natural disaster. That came from the 40s. But trauma as a life experience that will result in lots of emotional problems of all kinds. Trauma didn't come into 
um, our diagnostic system till 1980. Well, that's the same time that we were founding Children of Alcoholics. We were naming it. We were making it real. We were saying this, you know, this issue can be understood to be a source of a person's difficulties, both in childhood and in adulthood. And it fits trauma. Absolutely. It also works with ACE, as you've noted. Okay. Okay. And making it real in terms of, say, programs or is it long-term therapy, one-to-one, or is it group therapy, or is it didactic psychoeducation? If you could describe the kind of programs that that are available. Okay. In, In terms of the variety of help that is available now in this day that will directly work with people on their ACA experience that's allowed in the room. It's named and it's linked to uh, broader understandings of what is trauma, what is trauma and how to help people with that. And that can be in an individual therapy. It can be psychoeducational. It can be short-term in that regard, uh, psychoeducational. Self-help, mutual help, meetings for trauma for child of alcoholic, adult child, conferences. There can be one week long, two week long intensive therapies. And there there are several treatment centers here in the United States that are geared toward adult children of alcoholics trauma on site in um, Tennessee is the most well known. But there are others as well. And working with a therapist can help the individual determine at what point in time what kind of help. And I really accent the importance of, well, listening to stories on the radio. A lot of people are not able to feel emotion except when they turn on music or they hear they hear a story on a radio show or, te- or television because the emotion still has to be contained and guarded. So we're not going to pull out all the possibilities of sharing one's story with others necessarily, allowing a person to help in, a, in figuring out what is a next best step in terms of treatments. There are many, many now. What I hope for is that the specific issue, the trauma, living with parental alcoholism will be named. Otherwise, lots of times people want to not name it for the reasons we've talked about and treat the person ideally for some kind of trauma, but it will not again allow the end of the patient to integrate the realities of what life was like and what happened with what it was. And that is often, that's often a counter-transference, in fact, because the therapist may not want to name it as drinking, but it, but people around the world are much more comfortable with trauma. We see it, we know it. Yes, yes, exactly. The only thing is that sometimes people think of trauma as traumatic episodes that have happened, say, as a result of, of wars and stuff. But when it comes to the alcohol-dependent family or the family system, we're talking about maybe from birth to adulthood that trauma has been pervasive every day, nonstop. So how, in a way, and I'm just thinking, 
you know, the long term aspect of the work and what, you know, the best kind of uh, in terms of, of, of therapy and therapists, what therapists need within them to sustain the work over a long period of time. So beautifully stated, Marion. Oh, and that allows me to talk about the, the need for therapist training, the need for therapist training, both in the long-term aspects, the process aspects, the developmental model aspects of the what kind of impact at what age uh, for a child born into uh, or or not you know a, a family with with these traumas. You mentioned the acute trauma or the episode and um mm. and what you're talking about is chronic trauma and they're they're different most of the writers on trauma refer to or are working within a framework of an one acute episode so that the idea then and the language has been let's help people find treatment and they can get back to normal and that, you know, it's like extricating the traumatic experience. And there are such acute traumas. But we're not talking about those usually. We're talking about life experience, which is chronic. And that then turns into character. That becomes the um, anxieties, the depression, the wake-ups, the vigilance, the terror, the nightmares, the sleep disturbance, the ongoing experiences that an individual finds normal or or lives with, learns to live with from whatever age. And then that's that's why I so emphasize the importance of naming because once adult children of alcoholics, there is this label that will help the patient and the therapist explain. Explain, and that understanding may not change the person's experience every day, the, you know, the terrors, they may be with a person a long time. But being able to understand how this happened, what's going on, how, what to do with it is very important. And chronic trauma of this kind becomes normalized. Exactly. This and is my, exactly. in the family, in the culture. That's it. And, and, and then you have chronic uh, victims are not people with chronic trauma all trying to live together either in relationships intimate relationships or in family relationships so i'm wondering if you could say a couple of words about about you know the difficulty for acas in terms of intimate relationships ah uh, it it i'll try it's so key <laughs> it's so key it's central and not not everybody will experience them. I think the people who have found their adult lives, the ACAs who have found their adult lives and have, have formed relationships uh, that work for them, they're not the ones who will be seeking help or needing help or experiencing the sudden calamitous anxiety attacks and panic disorders. It's like the elevator dropping for some people the sudden awareness. So we're talking about people who begin to recognize these defenses that worked for me growing up. These defenses, whatever, however I became, you, you noted those, the, um, the roles, the rules, how, how I grew up to cope in this family, the level of denial will not be 
servicing me well as I get to adulthood to form an open, caring, reciprocal relationship with anybody. And so lots of ACAs begin to be very concerned about intimate relationships because they keep going wrong. They keep going bad. And the first, the first me, uh, explanation often is, Oh, I keep choosing the wrong person. Now, I, I don't think that's correct. And we will work on that in whatever therapy. What is the wrong? What is it about you? Uh, the work will come back to not knowing, not knowing how to become or be a different person in relationship than my childhood experiences within my family, within my circles, within my experiences. Those childhood models and uh, the growing up experiences will shape who I am within my own relationship with myself and others. But it's we can't understand that as we're be- becoming adult, except intellectually, really. I want to do it differently. And I do not understand that I'm much more likely to be faced with living out painful aspects of my parents' relationship than being able to do something different. We like to believe we are not uh, stuck with, you know, and becoming, you know, living out what was so difficult and painful growing up. No, that is so, so true. Stephanie, I think for many people, I'm sure you're really hitting a, a right note there because uh, we see it time and time again in our rooms that, you know, people are repeating patterns and it's totally unconscious. And that's why the provision of group therapy, of, you know, psychoeducation, individual work, long term is is the is the key to this and it's what we're trying to advocate for in alcohol action ireland and silent voices is to 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 get a service and to get healthcare professionals to recognize that this is these are patterns that are can be broken with the right type of 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 help and support and if if i could maybe mention just one particular person who who mentioned the following she said uh, I was first a daughter of an alcoholic and a sister of alcoholic siblings then I married an alcoholic and separated and now I'm dealing with my adult children's issues with their dad and so the shadows of alcoholism are always in my life what does it take to get rid of the shadows of alcoholism as those shadows are always lurking in the background of my life. So how best can I release myself from them? And this person's situation is not uncommon in Ireland, and it would appear that people can become entangled in the web of addiction across generations, but it just goes to show how we almost accept that and tolerate that as normal rather than really advocating for change to happen and for intervention to happen. Stephanie, would you agree? We, it, it's so normal. And for this person to be able to have found through her, you know, through her work to be able to be able to describe her history this way, she's done work already. 
She's been able to see how she lived and who she is and what she carries. And she calls it a shadow. Getting rid of this uh, shadow or what I might say is much more internalized that she's someone in the family who, or in a family like this, who did not drink. And, and wherever she would begin now, she will be, come to be in, in the, bringing the unconscious, the word you mentioned, uh, terrific, bringing, bringing, or what's been denied, uh, which might be actually stored in, stored, not unconscious, but, but it's not there. So it's retrieval, the process of a therapy, the process of being in long-term groups of, uh, that may be therapy or again, the mutual help organizations where more can be revealed a step at a time. People want help to be different. And that's where some of the short-term therapies, I think, get into trouble because they they attempt to do that for people. And it's, that's who her, she, you know, she grew up. That's who her family is. Uh, it's very difficult to release what she carries. And the process of therapy can definitely help with that. But I want to ask a tough question here. You know, if she, she wants to get to release this shadow and yet what would she release it to? What would be there? What is there for her to become in her relationships, in her worries? Lots of people think there, you'll be somebody different somehow. But her, it sounds like from the, from what you, you read, that's who she is in terms of her life, who she knows, the people that she knows came before and come after. And so, you, a therapist, could be working with her to think about what she would like to be or who she could imagine she could be as she works to release those shadows, to add to her self-image, her self-identity, who she is, what might she do? Because that's one of the difficult things. You know, people over-identify themselves as pertaining to addiction, you know, or having recover, being in recovery and so on. But they're more, everybody is more than their addiction. They're more than um, the background that they grew up in. And I think, you know, what, what we really recognize both of us is, is the need for different um, resource, resourced places where people can exchange. I mean, I certainly have found over the years, a lot of my contacts a lot of my friends would have grown up in similar backgrounds and we would often share silently quietly and very nicely and and with great um empathy and 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 sensitivity and i think even that to be able to share with others in our own private world is is very and very uh, comforting because I, I suppose many um clients are not strongly resistant to absorbing the idea that they may be an ACA, but they often need our support and validation. So that interactional piece, you know, where people are giving each other validation for what they grew up with and recognizing, you know, all of those symptoms that you've mentioned, I think that's that's part of it. It's a huge part of it. 
and so well stated. You suggested in your own experience that you could quietly or softly share with others, and it sounded like when you were young. That's just extraordinary because you then could name reality. So much at the core of what we're talking about today, absolutely at the core is, in many families, what was real and what organized family life The central organizing principle could not be named. It could not be acknowledged. And so the distortion, calling it something else, don't you talk about your mother's drinking. And it's not that if you kids would behave better, she wouldn't need to have her sherry in the afternoon. I mean, this creation of distorted thinking, being told you must not feel, you can't know this reality. For you to have uh, grown up at, or, or at, and been able to share it, extraordinarily positive. And what I'm saying now goes into the notion of the importance of naming it at whatever age one is, is able to, and the importance then of beginning to be able to share. This is what happened. This is what it was like. What was real? Uh, now, let me add a, a separate piece here um, about the the difficulty of that. Uh, the, the person you read with uh, siblings, all alcoholic. You know, as people begin to uh, emerge through the naming, through the sharing, the comfort, as you say, but also constructing the story of what really happened, which helps. Uh, helps people feel better. It's like new eyes. Suddenly the world can open, but along with that can come a great deal of guilt and fear. I'm betraying the family. I will lose, I will lose my family membership. Uh, I can't call it what it is. Now this is, this is all a part of trauma. And this was very common in our early groups. What happens? You know, I, I walked around outside and I thought, do I dare go into this meeting? My parents won't allow this to be named. And yet I'm going in as the, as an ACA. So the therapist understanding that not everybody will be relieved without guilt, without fear, without the, the shame, both of who I am, perhaps shame, uh, but also the shame that I'm a betrayer, that I've broken and I'm a bad person now. All of these other pieces complicate, complicate the process. Without a doubt. And, and I suppose that's the importance of somehow or another treatment centers having facilities for families to talk and to enter into into a conversation about how they have been impacted because, you know, they're not going to do it at home. It's, it's often too difficult to do it at home because uh, people are maybe percolating with too many raging emotions and uh, they can't contain them when, when there isn't a a third person present or a facilitator present. If you remember the Minnesota model used to have the intervener, who would call at your doorstep at nine o'clock in the morning to carry out an intervention. But that was, that hasn't been working in Ireland for many, many years. But 
So there aren't formal ways of doing family interventions or offering families opportunities to to discuss what's going on in the family. The kind of only support today is through Al-Anon. And unfortunately, we don't have Alateen here at the moment. We don't have Alateen at all because of, of, you know, child protection issues and so on. So children are really at a loss to access sources of help, except through maybe Bernardo's or other services um, that are available. But that's what we're advocating for. And as regards, you know, adult children of alcoholic groups, oftentimes they're not facilitated by a professional person. It's usually, you know, people who are ACA themselves sitting in a room together talking about their, their, their experiences. And often there can be a lot of anger in the room. And I was just wondering how, you know, how you view the ACA groups and, and what that uh, is like in the States at the moment. It, it varies so greatly. Uh, some, it just varies so greatly. The ACA groups in the beginning here, the mutual help, non-professional, uh, which I support so much, um, and and conferences in the very, very beginnings were full of um, emotion, full of uh, dysregulation, surfacing, full of the incredible sense of pain and what had happened. And this was for people who were therapists and people who weren't coming to find comfort and understanding by being able to, to name the uh, the alcoholism to then there were all kinds of changes of after about 10 years or so there was a, a huge number of books and all kinds of things in the 90s the uh, the 80s and 90s and then the the mutual help stopped more and psychotherapy or definitely the researchers wanted to do the research they didn't trust the experiences that people were having and, the, you know, this influx of groups, they didn't trust that to be valid. So the, the research started and then it was all validated, all of it, and linked to trauma and and since then. So I'm that background is important to me as I see the comings and goings of the willingness to call it ACA here and to have ACA-labeled treatments. And one of the things about family treatment as part of treatment centers for someone with addiction is the ACA may drive people to be willing to talk that a you know an adult whose partner is in, in addiction treatment, will, it will soon realize I had an alcoholic mother. A, a, a grown child will say, I'm glad we're all here as a family because my mother's mother was alcoholic, my father, so that people here know it now, here, and they will bring ACA into the family work wherever they are, whether it's, you know, it's generational. And the ACA label, the ACA, mm. adult child of an alcoholic, is an interpersonal label. So it facilitates looking at history, looking at generations and the impact. Uh, and the ACA 12-step is still here. The ACA non-12-step is still here. And that those 
programs continue and people will check them out uh, as they will. I'm beginning to think there's also a resurgence. I'm not sure why, but I'm getting more people calling me for training or for ACA therapy. Mm-hmm. I suppose that that is certainly because we've been very struck by the opioid crisis in the States, um, Stephanie. So uh, I, I was just thinking that that must be just catastrophic for, for families and, and the loss for children. We haven't even spoken about bereavement Um but I mean, there's so many other topics, um, Stephanie, we, we, we could cover. Stephanie, we're coming towards the end of this wonderful two 40-minute podcast that I've had the privilege of leading with you. And I suppose I just cannot begin to describe the absolute deep satisfaction and uh, deep sense of gratitude to you on behalf of Silent Voices and my two co-founders and Sheila and all of the great work being done by Alcohol Action Ireland to raise awareness about this issue. I just think that we have, we really felt inspired to invite you and then to have had such an accepting, positive response to all of the communication and to have today for you to, to really explore with us the, the, the issue that still remains quite silent in this country, but a subject, as you know, that has affected both of us. And I suppose I would like to finish the podcast, first of all, in asking you what you think your contribution to this field has been for over 40 years and what has been the most satisfying aspect of the work for you because I think you will be offering great hope to many people listening here. I hope so. I hope so, Marion. And let me thank you uh, you for everything that you have given me and Sheila and all of you who have, uh, who I, with whom I've been working during this time. It has been such an important, valuable experience for me. I really like to say, you know, I am still learning. Learning opened more layers for me. 40 years of ACA and for me, 50 years of sobriety. And I, I, I feel so much hope, so much hope. And I, and I, and I am glad that I, I feel like I can be open and stay open to, to learn more within myself, to see my own resistances and uh, fears still. This is a lifelong process for me. And uh, the ACA movement has given me life, as has recovery from my own alcoholism. And uh, I would have... I would have died, I do believe. So in terms of contribution, uh, and I think that you're referring contribution to ACA, it's very hard for me to know and often to feel a contribution that I've made. It just, it's a, it's a hard one. Uh, all of it, the fact that, it, that the contribution, other people's eyes will light up, tear up, the emotion, oh my gosh, that's what it is. So uh, being able to be with people 
who are beginning to see and are open to see, are driven to see. That's that's wonderful. The people that I've met as colleagues, uh, you mentioned Claudia. I mean, what a, what a life experience. And I think those of us in ACA bring our emotion with us in our writing, in our naming. We are willing to share our own experiences. All of that is a contribution. We show up and all of that is really important. I love my thinking and my theory, but it's hard to say the contribution. Hopefully all of that in essence, uh, in essence and as a whole, a contribution. And that we used to think when we were founding ACA here and NACOA in those early years, and we were all kids uh, together, grown-ups, but we were all kids, uh, uh, bringing our own experience and benefiting deeply from the sharing we were doing and the naming and the writing and the various kinds of writing. Um, But we worried, would this movement survive? Well, yes, it has. And that is so gratifying. Wow. Stephanie, I just want to say that, you know, all of those writings, all of those books, all of the experience um, has lit up the lives of so many people, including myself. So I cannot begin to express to you my gratitude for that early work. I find it incredible to think that you had a mental breakdown in your mid-twenties and yet went on to write a PhD thesis on the ACA syndrome and and then write a book on it. You've made a massive contribution to the field. Oh, Marion, thank you so, so much. I would like to add one thing. That mental breakdown allowed me the freedom to seize it, to seize it, and for and to be able to open up because it was the alcoholism that I became able to recognize and see. And um, mental breakdowns may come in all varieties and shapes. Mine was a gift that gave me freedom, as did my recovery from my own alcoholism. Thank you, Marion, so much. Thank you, Stephanie. And I'd like to thank our audience for staying with us um, throughout the two podcasts. And maybe you've just heard one already and maybe it's this one. But we just want to thank you very much for joining us and to thank our Addiction Counselors of Ireland, the Irish Association of Counselors of Psychotherapy and all the other accrediting bodies who are joining us today to listen to these um, definite, clear podcasts. And I... I'm very aware of the complexity and of the broadness of the topic. And there's so many more unanswered questions there that I'm sure some of you had. But maybe you'll get a chance to listen to Stephanie on the 18th of October from 7 to 9 p.m. And we look forward to having you on board for that. And in the meantime, could we suggest that you look at all of the resources that are available on Alcohol Action Ireland forward slash silent voices. Thank you all.